Some folks might think that inflation is the price level. And so therefore, if inflation comes down, that means I should be seeing a drop in prices. I'm going to pause there and then hit on a couple other points that were brought up here. I mean, you're right. But come on, people. This is not kindergarten. Like, I can't hold your hand through everything. This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Doogles, that like to debate about investing. The content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. How's it going, player? Great, but there's no time for pleasantries, Doogles. What? You got no time no, for the pleasantries? No time. There was an arrest made Oh, the Tupac Shakur murder case. And I find this fascinating from all levels. I'm going to argue for a premium episode that's like four hours long, breaking this down. But for this episode, yeah. all right. I just have to point out, I think this is really important. The only reason they made an arrest is because some dude wrote a book <laughs> saying that he did it. So here's the thing. Yes, to that point, and it took like four years after the book came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like it, it wasn't, like four like, how, how, how good is your, your policing? When someone no, is... tried to walk a fine line, I'm not trying to throw shade at the police because hopefully they have better things to do. But oh my goodness, it's like it's like it's like if somebody wasn't found guilty but wrote a book called "If I Had Done It." <laughs> this is oh, what no. it would have looked like if I had Did done you it. See, so sorry, that's an OJ reference mm-hmm. for those there who don't follow it. Did you see OJ's quote this week? He's they, they're like, no. How can we never come to LA anymore? And he goes, I'm afraid I might run into the person that did it. So <laughs> I, I'm not comfortable. This is OJ actually said that. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> anyway, we'll keep you updated on all the, you know, what other confessions happen. Dude goes, I want to see where this goes from here because this guy who got arrested, whose name is Dwayne Keith Davis may have maybe responsible or involved in the Biggie murder as well. If I read this correctly, right? Yeah, that w- I couldn't quite tell what was going on there. Like it, it alluded to that, but yeah. I couldn't tell if it was just speculation or if there was if there was a there there. But it, wouldn't it be strange if those two things were that like if because I I kind of always had in my mind that the Biggie was retaliation for Tupac, not somebody's trying to take out all the rappers. Yeah, and according to the story, basically Tupac and some others beat up his nephew. That like that was basically yeah. it. I'm not tracks. I thought I believe I that. think this dude might have hired a PR firm to get the New York Times to write this article simply to sell his biography because now I feel like I have to go read this book. <laughs> do you though? Like do you think this I is kinda, be a, like I a well written masterpiece? Anyway, I just want say here we will be we will provide the most coverage of the tupac trial of any invested podcast out there you can count on it that's that's probably legit i think that's legit (laughs) (laughs) all right let's go i mentioned it last week we have three weeks ago i was complaining about and we got two different spots with some research recommendations so jiggles we hit that music hit it six names that were brought to our attention i think i'll just list them uh this is from adam and Sphere, both uh long-time listeners to the show 
that we respect. So we haven't done deep dives on these stocks. They're certainly not purchase recommendations, but you could have some fun uh, doing research here. What we're going to walk through at least gives you a sense for what the initial, I'll call it cursory view, uh, can be on certain stocks and how we think about the decision-making as to whether or not to go deeper. I think that's that's probably the best thing you'll you'll get from this. So we're gonna we're gonna hit on the high level when we look through each of the stocks. What are our initial takes? Whether we think any of the stocks are worth going more deeply into, and that would include like 10Ks, looking at news, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but to start, let's just hit on the high level. Perfect. Uh, I think we'll start in the U.S. with stuff. Adams, Good Times Burgers is buying back 10%. It bought back 10% of those shares last year. It's a tiny company. They do have debt, but I think it's part of a sales le- leaseback agreement. So it's like uh, not the same, just debt to feel operations. And just um, to, hold on, to be clear, when you say tiny, you're talking $35 million market cap. Tiny, like very tiny. tiny. Yeah. yeah. The, and we'll get there, but probably too tiny for me. I typically wouldn't buy anything less than $300 million or even $400 million of market cap simply for liquidity reasons so you can get in and out of the stock easily. So because it's tiny, I don't know that we'll talk much more about it, but it's an interesting one. Um, They own another like upscale burger chain that appears to have some growth. That that could be a fun if you're a micro investor looking. Why do you think it's fun? Uh, What do you see appealing about it? Why do you think why do you say it's fun? It is definitely a value stock, just dirt cheap, basically, is what gets me going. And then it's consistently profitable. To me, this is one of those like it's not complete gamble gamble, but it is a little bit gamble. I mean, you're you're and by gamble, I mean I don't mean that the uh that there's necessarily the downside there, but the bet on the upside feels like it'd just be a random twist of fate. I'm I'm not sure what would take this. This organization, you know, to the higher level. No, so this is not a Dougal stock in any way. Like this is not uh, going up ten times. This could make consistent returns over a number of years. Basically, because it's so small, I feel like it's forgotten, and so it's trading in a multiple that's probably not fair for the type of business they have, just because it's so small. Again, okay. I almost right. want to move on because this is like a micro play. Okay, this is okay. not okay. Gonna fit. The next one Adam mentioned. Well, the last one is Hasbro. I'm not going to talk about Hasbro too much. They're selling off um, part of their business. And that wasn't interesting to me. Any, they, I didn't want to play in the um, potential spinoff Joel Greenbat stuff. So that just wasn't of interest to me. But it could be interesting for some of our listeners. Haynes Brands, I want to talk about Dougal's because in 2015, the stock cha- traded at 25 bucks a share. You're talking about the underpants. Yeah, we're talking about... 2021, the stock traded at almost 20 bucks a share. It currently trades at, this is a few days back, but $3.50, basically. Okay. Now, there's a lot going on here, and I won't talk about it too much, but it actually, now it had a big day on Friday, so it actually trades at almost 4 bucks a share now. But have you ever heard of the, the men's underpants index, Dougals? The M-U-P-I? The yeah. Moopy? You ever heard of this? No, I don't move around. No, it's a recessionary indicator. Um, oh, yes, I have. Yeah, yes, I have. because they don't like to spend money typically. If we're if we're living with stereotypes, and they only buy underpants when there's like they feel like there's extra money in their bank account, right? So people actually track this. 
what's so interesting with Haynes is there's been a a really great economy for the most part for the last 12 years and all, all these fancy i mean if you guys listen to podcasts you hear all these advertisements for fancy underwear right fancy <laughs> men's underwear yeah yep. it's clearly eaten into the Haynes the basic underwear how much of this like poor performance is simply the fact that the economy has been really good and people have felt like funny on higher quality like undergarments is a fascinating hypothesis for me i mean it could be i also it, the company's losing money yes uh cash to debt ratio is not exactly what i would what i'd love they are producing cash i mean i, I don't see what's appealing about it necessarily so basically, um, yeah, there's not much. This uh, Haynes has way too much debt. Haynes has way yeah. too much debt for me to buy. Uh, to cut to the chase, but Haynes is again. We're talking research recommendations. Like I can tell you, I'm not buying Haynes. But I, as I was kind of digging into this, like revenue per share is not down nearly as much. So the stock's basically down seventy five, eighty percent. In like what a two-year period mm -hmm. revenue per share is steady and then i haven't done the deep dive on why their losses have been so large recently there's clearly something going on in the 10k that i just don't know about yet yeah i mean i'm not even gonna open up that 10k probably got stains in his drawers <laughs> i love it so that, that's another thing that i mean most of these stocks 95 percent of the stuff that i'm gonna find some issue with and uh, yeah. move on that's what we're doing with Haynes. <laughs> Fascinated though. Like I I like that one. It's okay. One, one of the things I also think is interesting is there are these companies that I forget are in public. Like I just don't even think about them anymore. Like the one that that pops up frequently on my radar, but I forget that because it seems so basic, is WD forty. I'm like, that's a public company? You know, like I just I just yeah. forget that uh, that things like that are public. So Haynes is it kind of falls in there. Tootsie roll, you know, it's like these things that have been around for so long. Wait, Tootsie right, Roll's a public company? Yeah, TR, Tootsie Roll Industries, baby. <laughs> All right, what, what, what's next? So now we have uh, three international recommendations from Sphere. We have Alfin, a Dutch company that does EV charging and grid energy storage, along with a bunch of other things. This one doesn't jump off the page at me, Diggles, when I pull it up. And also, I'll provide the basic caveat that you and I talked about in the pre-show meeting, like, Investing in international securities as a U.S. citizen sometimes gets uh, less fun, I'll say. The reporting requirements aren't the same. Buying it can be harder. Liquidity might not be the same. Like there's, there's all sorts of hurdles to jump through. So if you let's imagine that we're, we're not U.S. folks and we're looking at this uh, as someone that's living in the Netherlands. Okay, so you're looking at a Dutch company. You're Dutch. Everything's Dutch here. What are your thoughts on the on the company from that angle? Well, it's a it's basically a growth company. Like it's not for me. Yeah, revenues are growing quickly. The debt to equity is not terrible, but like price to cash flows and price to earnings is thirty three. Um, it's just not. I'd have to know it a lot better for me to get yeah. intrigued yeah. with those metrics. Yeah. It doesn't scream cheap to me. Yeah, it's a it's not a it's not a cheap organization. What intrigues me about it is uh, the market that it's in. So it actually touches on like three different business units. One of them is around renewables. There's also like EV charging unit. And I think that that's an interesting space. So that that intrigues me where I then get detrigued 
I don't know if that's a, if that's a word, but I, I get, I get detrigued because at least from what I'm reading from the materials they put out, and I didn't go deeply into this, but I read through an investor presentation from what I read there. It sounds like the EU is making a huge shift uh, into as not just EU, but EU is making a huge shift into renewables and whatnot. EV charging is something that they want to have broadly. And that on the surface sounds like it would be a great tailwind potentially for an organization. But to me, my trigger goes off that it's probably a race to the bottom. Like if the, the government is, if or maybe not the government, I shouldn't say that. If the union, I don't know, what what is the, the body, the governing body whatever, of, of the EU overall, if there's that oh, big there's of a push. thousands of them. That's why it's so, that that's, so that's the other thing that uh, financial ratios don't really appeal to me. And then, gosh, I haven't lived in Europe in a while. I don't know the ins and outs of those bodies, but I feel like you're along for the ride with government regulation and policy here. Yep. And I don't really want to, Mm-hmm. seed control of that so this is this is the type of company that i would get interested in if i had like deep intimate knowledge of some advantage that they had and not I, outside in it would be really difficult for me to get interested in something like this i would i would need to understand the company much more deeply because otherwise it does feel to me like it's going to be more race to the bottom and i wouldn't bet on that my take you, you well i basically want borderline insider information yeah exactly exactly right yeah so then he mentioned diodes which i believe is a semiconductor company better ratios like nice current ratio decent price to cash flow low debt this one i just don't know well and the semiconductor space Douglas, you you know a lot better than me um this is is one that i might uh, keep on my list and like actually pull a 10k or something do a little more research yeah ratios aren't bad here this this feels like it's a um so this is this is not a growth company it would be more in your camp uh if if anything and it doesn't seem that cheap to me but i don't know what your your thoughts are there it doesn't seem that cheap but it's a but it's definitely not it's not a growth organization so like that's something but not not appealing to me right it wouldn't appeal to me for that reason yeah so it it would be another thing I could look into more deeply. So like it's trading at about half its historical values in terms of like price to earnings and not quite on price to cash flow, but it's coming down. I, I need another story behind it. All right. Last One. two are both big uh, lithium companies, yep. mm-hmm. which I did that's not wake a, up that's today. Hotness. That's hotness though. I, but I did not wake up today being like, I need some lithium companies. <laughs> that, that after, is it, has that ever been something you, you nope, never. thought about? After looking at these, uh, I'm a little intrigued. So the first is SQM, which appears to be Chilean. I think there's geopolitical risk and everything else, but the the basic financials are kind of interesting and not a ton of debt, really quality p- price to cash flow. Like I could look into this huge dividend that I want to make sure sustain sustainable because it isn't always. So that one, just because it's Chilean, is it probably a uphill battle for me. This ALB is the other one. And I'd like to dig in on this a little bit. I don't know much about the company. Don't know much about lithium mining. But uh, this could be juicy, Dougals. There's There appears to be a lot going on here that's positive. 
Yeah, both both of these are ones I'd want to look into. You're absolutely right on the geopolitical risk, but I think South America. So South America overall, you have to go country by country, but I'm going to universally say South America overall has a lot of geopolitical risk, but also some interesting uh, one-offs that exist. And I think this space is the hotness. And if uh, both of these companies, I think financially look, as you stated, intriguing. So I'm going to dig into that one. Uh, That the dividend on, to go back for a second, Mm -hmm. the dividend on SQM, I mean, they've been paying it for 20 plus years at least. So that doesn't mean it's sustainable. I think your point. Yeah, it it's irregular though right so yeah, yeah, that's i don't true. know that's true. how they calculate it if it's some percent of profits that they're sh- sharing back or it definitely looks intriguing i just these have just come across our desk but both of these i'm going to look into so it's fair i know you sent both of these across i think they're both worth uh researching a bit more uh which i personally am going to do uh and so if there's more to to come back on that We'll talk about it in future episodes, but of the, what was the total of six here? These are the two that I found potentially. Uh, I'd agree. And I think for me, it's probably just ALD that I would do for the research on because I like that it's based in Charlotte. Now, clearly there are mining operations. I say clearly, I assume their mining operations are all over the world. And so there would be some geopolitical risk that might just be hidden, but at least they're going to give you all the advantages that come with being a U.S. listed company. That is true, which includes all the advantages, including bribery investigations. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we said American. It means we can pay off our congressman way (laughs) more easily. (laughs) There you go. If I buy this thing, it'll be like meta the whole time. I'll be like, I don't want to own a lithium (laughs) mine company. (laughs) (laughs) I have no desire to buy this, but this thing is cheap. I think it might be. That's funny. uh, Yeah, yeah, exactly. It might be at a significant discount. Anyway, uh, we love listener mail. Hope our cursory first glance at those did those justice. Um, thank you guys both for sending that our way. And uh, maybe some listeners will dive in, do some research, and, and maybe we'll end up with some purchases there. We're crowdsourcing knowledge, Jiggles. I love it. Ooh, love it. Thank you. Appreciate that. Okay. Can I have a quick hit before I actually dive into the fishbowl? This is not full yeah. fishbowl, what I want to touch on here, but T Swift keeps popping up on the radars t-swift keeps popping up on the radars and it just seems what's what's magical to me on the t-swift tip the tst the t-swift tip what's magical on the tst is that everything that she touches turns into gold it's like either it's probably either or both of these things if she is interested in anything there's a whole group of swifties or whatever they're called that also get interested in that thing or just want to be like her the latest of this is there's rumors, rumor mill going around that T Swift enjoys the tight end of a particular tight end. <laughs> was, that, was that too far? <laughs> so Travis Kelsey, tight end on the, the yeah, Kansas City Chiefs in American football. There's rumors that Taylor Swift is dating her. And this, I, let me pull this up because I just found this to be interesting. So Taylor Swift was seen at a Chiefs game. After that, there was a 400% spike in Travis Kelsey jersey sales. Kelsey's podcast went to number one on Apple. He added 380,000 Instagram followers. 24 million viewers watched the game. There was a 63% jump in female viewers between 18 and 49. I mean, it's just like her impact is just wild. That's it. I don't need to talk about it. I just want to throw that out there. 
You know the Kevin Kelly idea of a thousand true fans? Yes, I do. Simply that goes. If you have a thousand people that really love what you do and maybe they're willing to pay you a hundred bucks a year to consume content you're creating or whatever, there's a hundred K that turns into an engine that supports you personally. T Swift is like that with like a hundred million true fans yeah. that will happily drop a hundred bucks or five hundred bucks or a thousand bucks that they don't have. <laughs> hey, you don't know. I mean I know. They I know they managed to it. inflate the concert prices very well. Listen, I'm the only one on this podcast that's done live in person reporting from a that is true. <laughs> this is true. So I should I should trust your in stocks here. Okay. All right. But but so the NFL, no, I, I'm not done yet. I'm not, not letting you okay, move on. Sorry. <laughs> the NFL, the official NFL Twitter account, I think by all financial figures, but I could be wrong. Maybe there's a, a soccer league that rivals the NFL. I think the NFL is the biggest sports league in the world, financially anyway. Okay. The NFL Twitter account changed their official name to NFL Taylor's version, which is a play on on the latest album she's been releasing. And apparently for the next Chiefs game, they are doing Taylor Swift personalized memorabilia, which are these Man. little wristbands to give an ode to. Like how, it, it's exactly your point. One individual basically seems like they parallel the world's largest sports league. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Driving economies. Right. It's wild. Speaking of inflation, so this is an actual fishbowl topic. I want to reach in. I enjoyed this piece that uh, that Fisher Investments put out, and it's about price levels versus rates. Not a lot of time needs to be spent on this unless you, you want to, but I think that the the topic here is interesting, especially in light of what we talked about last week, which was how people don't trust the data. And maybe some of it is the understanding of what certain words maybe even mean. So for example, what this is saying is inflation rate is not the same as price level. So when people say, for example, the rate of inflation is coming down was, you know, nine plus percent. Now it's a little over 3%, right? When we say that people might be like, nah, inflation ain't coming down. I went and got my burger. My burger is still $20, right? That's different though. Because even if inflation is 3%, that means prices are still increasing by 3%. But I, I, I I can see where some folks might think that inflation is the price level. And so therefore, if inflation comes down, that means I should be, should be seeing a drop in prices. I'm going to pause there and then hit on a couple other points that were brought up here. I mean, you're right. But come on, people. This is not kindergarten. Like, I can't hold your hand <laughs> through everything. I, I mean, yes. No, no, no. Yeah, but sometimes what, what's baseline concepts, you know, here on the Skipping Dougal's podcast, like other people may not touch on in their everyday lives. It's just an, it's an important point. Important point. No, it, very important. But like, it's. I guess what I'm saying is maybe you shouldn't be the person if you if you can't understand that basic difference. Maybe you shouldn't be the person complaining about it. Maybe you should spend I don't know seven seconds. Okay, doing if a we, little reading. If we abstract that out, if you don't understand a thing, you shouldn't be complaining about a thing. That's basically what Americans do: is not understand oh, things wait. and complain. Our about Our podcast things. just got canceled. If we do that, <laughs> yeah, that's probably, yeah, exactly. That's true. I like this line, uh, this line from the uh, from the piece. Policymakers are aiming for disinflation, which is the technical term for slower inflation rates. But consumers at an emotional level seem to crave deflation, falling prices that erase 
last year's spike. I do well, think that no, summarizes it pretty well. I mean, consumers just want their purchasing power to go up. They don't actually want disinflation because okay. they don't want their paycheck to be cut. This is the problem with you. This is the problem with you. We were just talking about how price level versus inflation rate is probably something that many folks don't understand. And now you talk about purchasing power. Now you talk about some purchasing power. You're right that what people in the logical way, what pe- that's what people want. But emotionally, that's what they said. Emotionally, what people want is deflation and more prices to come down. Now, on that point, though, what you was just uh, lip gabbing about on that point, he talks about now what happens if prices really do come down? First of all, prices would have to come down 15% to go back to December 2020. That's one point. Material. Like that happening across an entire economy is buck wild flower child. Yeah. When you look at when prices did decrease by this much, you're talking Great Depression. You're talking 1929, yeah. 19 trace sure. trace. Is that really what folks want? No, of course. You know, going back to the point that you were talking about, when prices come down that much, wages also coming down that much, like that's not really what people want. They want purchasing power. It'll take some time to get back with purchasing power. Logically, that's really what they would want. But emotionally, I know you ain't got none of those, but emotionally, what folks would want is deflation. That's what this is saying. All right. I'm glad we that's got it. you fired up. It's all good. <laughs> all right. What's next in your fishbowl? Stats. Uh, in 1970, 16% of American households had a credit card. Yep. So 1970s are baseline here. 13 years later in 1983, that number was 43%. Yep, yep, yep. And in 2021, 67% of U.S. customers had a credit card and 87% had a debit card. I actually would have thought it would be higher. So a third of, I assume this is 18 plus Americans. A third don't have a credit card. So that's the growth that you just uh, walked through. Sorry, like wild, right? I'm dyslexic, and I said seventy six percent is the oh, right okay. number. There. All right, now that a fourth. Now, now we're, okay. a fourth. That makes sense. But still a fourth. So you have a certain part of the population that's bankless, which yep. I assume means you don't have that. But yeah, how do you function without a credit card these days? Is but that's cash. a it's getting pretty tough, man. It that's tough. a tangential point. Like I didn't really want to talk about that as much as just. Uh, this is from consumerfinance.gov, and it talks about big tech's role in contactless payments, but it also sets the scene. One interesting piece here is just with increased adoption of simple credit, you get more people relying on credit. And there's pros and cons to that, but there's probably more cons than there is pros. Go through it. Well, this go. I mean, this goes to all your favorite statistics, Dougals, that you talk about every third episode about the... Uh, the high level of credit card debt in this country. What? It's over a trillion and just past yep. a trillion. That's from memory. The, this on from the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau, this consumerfinance.gov, really ends up moving towards talking about the near field communications technology that allows like the tap to pay and allows yep. you to pay on your phone and yep. does a breakdown of basically how that works, what percent of the market apple has versus android and everything else which mm-hmm. is all fascinating but i don't think that's the thing that jumps out at me just the fact that there's increased adoption of credit i would guess we're near we're basically leading the world in the increased adoption of consumer credit and i think there will be ramifications for that at some point 
and all kinds of angles. Because there's credit cards. We've talked about the buy now, pay later. There's $1.8 trillion in student debt that folks are about to have to pay. Anyway, you didn't you didn't want to go down that angle. I'm just saying it's like it's the adoption of debt overall. We're in the next 48 hours, there won't be a government. <laughs> there's all kinds of problems going on now. Yes. So here's some simple numbers <laughs> just on that US mobile payment uh, users. It's estimated that there's like 55 million people that use Apple Pay, about 30 million that use Google Pay, and maybe 15 million that use Samsung Pay. And that's expected to continue to grow. This goes even to the point of like, you can go to the Whole Foods now and pay without a device, pay yeah. with just your hand. So, wait, what? Yeah. Like you just like stiff arm the cashier? Basically, yeah. What you do is you grab the goods and then you stiff arm the person <laughs> at exactly. exit and you just run out. No, there's a whole like palm scamming thing. It's, wow. That's a different topic completely. Wow. What What do you think about the fact that credit is so much more prevalent? I mean, you you, you know, you know what I think about this whole thing. I just think we're in trouble. I think we're in trouble. The uh, accessibility of credit on its own, I have no issue with, and actually would encourage. When you combine that with the financial literacy that exists in the country, and you combine that with just like wanton nonsense of spending that folks have, buying Kelsey jerseys when you don't even know who he is, you just heard he's got a tight end, then, you know, like I think that combination of things is buckwell. That's what I got a problem with. But I, I, I really do think that consumers are in trouble. Like I, I don't, I don't know. I hope that it's wrong. I know I said this, and you, I am the perma bear when it comes to this whole consumer thing, but I'm, it's just, it's kind of scary to me. It's, and, I'm, and I'm hearing it more anecdotally now than I have before as well. So it's like the data has been showing it. Now I'm hearing it more anecdotally. Yeah. Well, and uh, bankruptcies are up as well. Um, yes. True. Corporate so, and personal. Mm -hmm. And uh, if we're, if we jump into, if we put on our Jeremy Grantham hat and jump into perma bear mode, also the leading indicators for a recession um, are all been trending up and they've been trending up for like 17 consecutive months. It, you can make a case for it. You can also make a positive case for sure, but you can make a Not case a good that one. things are about to turn. Speaking of bears, perma or otherwise, and going back to the government shutdown that I mentioned, I learned yesterday. So the things that were going through my mind when I was like, U.S. government's going to shut down. This is never good. Why are we so responsible? There's lots of stuff going through my mind. But just yesterday, I it came to me, the realization, as I read some articles, that what that means is, you know, the fat bear cameras yeah. will no longer be active. Because when the government shuts down, national parks going to have to shut off their fat bear cameras. This is a problem. Yeah, Did Kevin McCarthy even know about this? <laughs> I, I was really hoping we weren't going to talk government shutdown. But this, let me read you these uh, two sentences. Even though federal employees won't be working, the government would not save money. Employees would eventually get paid thanks to legislation signed by then President Donald Trump, meaning taxpayers could be on the hook for billions of dollars in wages for millions of man hours not worked, according to the Office of Management and Budget. What, what, in what world do we live? We signed a bill that says, and for the people, I'm all for it. We signed a bill that says, if we tell you not to come to work, we will still pay you for the hours you should have worked. Just for what? Because we're because the government is 
so stupid that we can't what 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 I'm hearing is an individual that said, I don't believe in welfare, but I do believe in backdoor welfare. I mean, isn't that kind of what this is describing? I don't know. I just honestly don't get it because anytime we have a government shutdown, aren't we having a government shutdown because our political leaders are debating the fact that expenses are too high? And then you wrote a bill that says, oh, we're going to pay those expenses regardless. Yeah. Because what, it's not fair to our workers? Well, those are just completely conflicting. Yeah. There. I don't have it's, words for this other than it's stupid on all sides. I don't have words for any of this. I don't want to get political here, but it's it, we I don't have words for any of it. We are being irresponsible right now. We have been for quite a while on how we're running this government. All right, fishbowl time. I'm reaching back into the fishbowl. There's this piece keeping it simple in the Financial Times. This I'm gonna read this line, which I think just sets up the the view on the the person that uh, did the QA here quite well. JP Morgan has 240,000 employees worldwide. One of them, managing director Jan Loas, I think I'm getting that pronunciation right, writes about investment strategy in a way that can sound like a subtle dig at how the other 239,999 choose to spend their days. <laughs> That's my kind of person. That's my kind of person. Okay. So the keeping it simple is is what uh what Jan's saying is that you should basically when you're investing have two investments. One is a global equity fund. And then one is a broad bond fund that's in your own currency. So you don't have the uh, uh, financial, what am I, why can't I think, a foreign exchange uh, fluctuation there. That's it. That's it. And this is why he's got 239,999 other people at this company <laughs> that are trying to do not that. I don't know how exactly Jan has a job, but I love this. And what Jan says is, our industry does seem to love complexity and to abhor simplicity. The more complex the financial world is seen to be, the more managers, analysts, traders, consultants, regulators, and risk managers feel they add value and expect to be paid. I love it. We talked about this many Duh. times before. Duh. Nails it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's let's uh, make fun of me because um, I'm actually not sure the answer. I completely agree with this. This is what Benjamin Graham told me many, many years ago, this is basically what I've always had. I've always had some bonds and some stocks. Now, I buy individual stocks, which has a whole slew of other problems, which I think we've covered on the show a bunch. Who is out there with a bunch of commodities? And I, I don't know. Isn't this how every, I'd say everyone, isn't this how most people operate? No, I don't you think buy so. some stocks and some bonds. and. But I think he's even talking about like the industry as a whole like not even just retail here well the, 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 you just go back to munger and say show me your incentives and i'll show you what happened like exactly. people have created complexity this is where i completely agree and i don't think he's just completely right you can create complexity so you can be an expert so you can get paid for that expertise so you can charge higher fees so your yep. paycheck can go up so yeah of course because if people said hey pick your percentages by 30% intermediate term US government bonds and 30% in the S&P 500 and be done with it then there's nothing to get paid for exactly even though that's a great that's great advice the, well the thing the thing to get paid for at that point is not choosing what investments there are but keeping you away from your money a lockup period <laughs> yeah that, that that's what you you're paying me to save you that is what you're doing because i know 
you're going to look at Good Times Burgers and want to throw some cash at it. And I'm going to say, no, 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 my friend. Yeah. I'm yeah. just going to, I got you. Oh, come on. I got this, you. This Lithuania, or sorry, this lithium <laughs> company in oh, Chile. Oh, come on. It looks so juicy. <laughs> look at that dividend. I want to it buy does, that. Exactly. Exactly. Well, so um, kind of off the show, I am strongly pushing Dougal's to open a Wealthfront account to it's open explore some of these options yeah. I, w- I want you to have one of your equity accounts there with just whatever your mix of bonds and stocks whatever you think is appropriate let them automatically invest reinvest the dividends manage everything tax off har- harvest for you and i want you to report back man don't tell me what you think of that simple process yeah i know it like feels uncomfortable to me <laughs> It's too easy. It's it's too basic. It's, like, it's, it's too... too easy. Well, what's interesting is it's actually it's not that easy to get going, but once it gets going, I think it's easy. If it were, it'd be different. Even if it were just like, just give it, create a username, password, give us your bank account information. That's it, and then we'll just take care of the rest. That would be even easier. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I am interested. In, I'm I'm gonna I'm playing around with it. I appreciate you giving me the referral. I'm gonna play around with it, and I will report back on you. Yeah. What you got next? Uh, we have to do a follow up on you going Dave Ramsey. This Dave Ramsey. Um, All right, Meb Faber, who I trust, ran the numbers. He went to Morningstar and looked at. So Dave Ramsey, if you didn't hear the previous episode, just randomly and casually says, "Oh, it's not hard to beat the S and P five hundred," which is a lie, and then says, "My investments make." an average of 12 or 13%, depending on the year, which is also a lie. And so basically he's been dunked on in fin- financial social media ever since. Over the past 30 years, how many mutual funds have returned 13% a year, Dougals? Zero. That was what uh, Mr. <laughs> Ramsey was claiming to do. Over the past 30 years, how many mutual funds have returned 12% a year? Five. Five, not 5% of mutual funds, five total mutual funds. I have no idea how many other, but it's thousands. Like, yeah. It's pretty clear, although I don't think Dave has addressed it, that he's referring to a mutual fund that takes a 5.75% initial fee and charges oh, a management of fee of like 1%, which is so antiquated. I mean, it's... Uh, Mutual funds used to have different classes of shares where you could do front loading or back loading or all this other garbage. Um, horrendous. Um, massive fees, effectively lying about performance, whether it's intentional or not. I just am tying up a loose end here, but I don't have anything else to say. Enough said. Just uh, retire or something, man. No, don't you, don't you know the people <laughs> that have to collect money for financial advice probably aren't as rich as they tell you that they are. Yeah. That, that. <laughs> like, yeah. Go go retire. If you if everything's so great, why do you have yeah. to it's probably got a cost structure that's not following the baby steps or whatever? <laughs> All right. I got one last thing in the fishbowl here. And this is from flyoverstocks.com. And it's about how hard it is to sell. There are three reasons that they bring up here. It's like typically there are three reasons people say that they would sell a stock. One is the stock has reached its fair value. The second is there's some better opportunity. And the third is that your thesis has changed, like the rationale for why you invested, some some data has changed. And so it goes through each one of these and says why it's difficult. Like you might say that up front and then why it's difficult when that, that comes about. I think it's interesting for folks to hear. 
So if you go back to the stock has reached fair value estimate, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts here. You have a you have a system that just that makes it so you don't have to think about this. <laughs> it's like I think what you do, but I still love to get your thoughts here. So uh, one, he says under that, if you're investing in a value destroying asset, if you typically want to spend 50 cents on something that you think is worth a dollar, then he's like, yeah, you want to sell that dollar before it becomes 90 cents. But if you have a value creating asset, so like something that really looks like the flywheel starting to turn and it's gotten to the fair value estimate, then it becomes a bit harder or then you have to start thinking a bit more about it. So that's one. Uh, the second issue you said about fair value is knowing this kind of gets back to the last point, knowing when to update the inputs. So when do you change your your inputs when it comes to estimating that fair value? And then the last, he said, is the closer that a stock gets to whatever you said its fair value is, it starts to get murky. It's like, it's kind of, this happens too, I think, in acquisitions. If, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but let, let me stick with, with fair value. Let's get back to this. So if you say the fair value of a stock is a dollar, then like when it hits 95 cents, are you still waiting for the last like few percentages there? Do you wait? Like that just starts to become difficult with human emotion. So I'm going to pause and get your, get your take on that one. Yeah. So this is the right talking point in my eyes, the best in class approach to selling a stock would be, yes, the thing's currently trading at 50 bucks a share. So I know I have margin safety because I believe the fair value is a hundred bucks a share. So then I hold the stock until it goes to 100 bucks a share, even knowing that it probably goes to 30 bucks a share first. And then when it reaches 100, you sell. In actual practice, this is impossible and torture because you're so right. It would go to 30 bucks a share and you'll think you're completely wrong. Then it will rebound all the way to 97 bucks a share. You might not sell. And then when it dips back to 70 bucks a share, you'll be kicking yourself and going, you know, I should have sold at 97 bucks a share. Then you'll probably shell, sell at 70 bucks a share and just hate the entire exactly. process. Like that's how this works. But so exactly. Um, my approach was isn't the right approach is to have an idea of fair value and then have a time frame tied to it and basically say, unless something significantly changes when that time frame hits, and it has to be mm-hmm. a long time frame. It can't be three days, right? It has yeah. to be a year, two years, three years, even 10 years. Then you say, I expect to buy the thing and then I expect to give it enough time to get much closer to true value. And then I can unload the thing without all the brand damage. Beautiful. Second reason to sell. There's a better opportunity elsewhere. What he's saying here is imagine that you're you're not going to put more money into an investing account. So like the amount that's in that account is the amount that's in the account. He says, uh, so you find this new idea. You're like, oh, this idea is the hotness. But now what stock do I sell? in order to to buy this new one. And he said, especially if there's a successful position that you've had, like the longer you hold something, the more that there's this halo effect around it. You're like, this is my baby, this is my baby. And so then it becomes hard to sell. Even if you say, if I find something better, I'm gonna sell something. It's hard to sell the thing you already have, right? Bird in hand, hands in bushes. Yeah. For me, this is pretty much a just say no. Anytime you have to like sell to buy something else, it's probably forcing more buys and sells than you actually need to be successful. And which each one of those, you decrease your odds of success. It's also like you have to worry about short-term capital gains versus long-term capital gains, all these tax consequences in a taxable account. I've certainly done this where you feel like there's something that's such a steal that you have to kind of reallocate your portfolio. But 
for the most part, it's a fool's game, I think. I do one of two things. If I if I do this, if I sell to buy, I do one of two things. The least common for me is that there are some individual stocks that I hold that are that are kind of already potentially like in a sell position. And I know that I would sell them to buy something else. Like I've already decided it, but I ha- but I haven't sold it yet. There's some that's like that's rare, but that's one. The more common one for me is a a decent a chunk of my non-model portfolio is in VTI, Vanguard's like total index. And like that's something that I sell. And like I I will hold VTI basically forever in some uh, in some way, shape, or form, but I'll sell that to buy an individual stock. Like as well, so that's like the more common one. If I if I sell to buy, but most common for me is actually I just do it for money that is put into the account in order to buy the new thing. That's yeah, yeah. That's mostly what I do. But I will do um some like if there's absolute screaming deals, uh, I'll often try and cut expenses and start yeah. like sending yeah. more there or get create. Yeah, I I I have cash and other like readily available investments that can be diverted elsewhere if if they need to be the last one is your thesis has changed so the reason that you invested in the stock in the first place that has changed and this one comes down just to straight humanity and emotions that he's saying that it's so easy to rationalize away something that is shifted in a company that you've grown attached to that the selling doesn't happen so you tell yourself yeah i bought it for x reason if x changes i'll sell it X changes and you're like, yeah, but X changed because of Y. So actually, right. And that, that is, that is difficult. That's a tough one. So it's hard to sell. That's the summary. I thought this was a, a pretty like solid summary of, uh, of what goes through folks' minds and why it's difficult. Wanted to relay that. Yeah. I like it a lot. It, the selling decision gets a lot easier if you could brainwash your mind. So you can't remember your original purchase price. <laughs> because yeah, that, there's that this anchoring yeah, that happens. Yeah. So it's really hard to sell less than your original purchase price. But if you can, people talk about this in sports, right? It does The previous play doesn't matter. All that yeah. matters is putting your focus on the current event. And like, that's how you should think about when you do a portfolio review. Obviously, you can't do a portfolio review all every second of every day because it's just exhausting. Yeah. But when you yeah. decide to look into things, you should look into it with a clear mind to say, is that company actually worth yeah. what it's trading at, regardless of what I paid for it? Exactly right. Smart. That's all I got. Awesome. Me too. Please share the show with a friend and it's a review if you get a chance. Listener mail is skippydoogles at gmail.com. Substack, which you can get to from skippydoogles.com, has everything you could ever want. Truth. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week.